This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, Season 9, Episode 20. Welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network of podcasts, brought to you by HK. Today is January 12th, Friday, January 12th, 2024, as of the recording of this episode. Glad to be with you all. I'm your host, Riley Bowman, and I'm joined today by co-host and producer, Doc McLaughlin. Hey, hey. Hey, hey. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Glad to have you. We're excited to do this episode today. It's actually a topic that came up uh, more as a suggestion from Doc here. Uh, He kind of meant you introduced it to me in what I thought was an interesting way when you said something about a difference between a speed draw and a tactical draw. And I was like, what's a tactical draw? And he kind of explains what he means by that. I'm like, okay, I kind of thought that's what you meant. And so really what we're talking about here today, yes, it's going to be about tactical draws or also known as covert draws, also known as sometimes, like I think it's Masada Ayub that refers to him as a stealth draw. Uh, but I think more commonly, at least what I see more in more recent history is referred to as a surreptitious draw. All the same sort of thing. We're going to talk about timing your counter ambush the sur- surreptitious draw. I think it's going to be a really interesting, fascinating topic here today. But first, today's episode are, is sponsored by HK. HK, a new title sponsor of the podcast and also specifically sponsoring this episode here today. Uh, you know, HK makes great pistols, super high quality, frankly, over-engineered in terms of, you know, for as far as pistols go, that's not a bad thing. We know they're going to work. We know they're reliable. We know that they're made to high exacting quality standards. Uh, in fact, one of the reasons why, like one of the knocks that sometimes people will, will give towards HK as a company or, or to their products is, well, it sure takes a long time for them to release stuff. Well, one of the reasons for that is because they don't lease it if they're not happy with it. And I can tell you already, there's something new coming. I don't know whether it's going to be in a week or two at SHOT Show. I don't know if it's going to be later this year. I don't know if it's going to be next year. But what I know, it's coming. <laughs> and the reason why it's not here yet is because they're, they weren't happy with it yet. And that's one of the cool things, I think, about the company HK. Because they believe in only releasing stuff that they fully tested, fully vetted. And that's one of the reasons why we're proud to have them on board as a sponsor today's episode uh oh and their website if you want to check out of course hk products is hk-usa.com our other episode sponsor today is the guardian conference the 2024 guardian conference i'm going to do a little sponsor message on that a little bit later in the episode but if you want to go ahead and check it out right now go to guardianconference.com all right so brian without further ado let's get into our topic here Timing your counter ambush. Yes, sir. The surreptitious draw. I, I'm going to throw it your way. I wanted, I wanted to kind of hear your angle again as to how we even got here with this as a topic for today. So tell me kind of, again, your 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 line of thought as we were discussing this the other day. Yeah. So uh, one of the things that we were, we were talking about, like, what are we going to talk about on the podcast? We wanted to have some sort of a topic and you, you had uh, said, you know, like, what's something that you wish you would have known when you first started out? <clears throat> and I think 
one of the things that um, I had to kind of wrap around my brain, um, it, it took me a little bit. You know, I was really working a lot on getting the skill of being really fast at the draw. And when I saw myself in a self-defense, self-defense encounter, I envisioned myself getting that gun out very rapidly and shooting all the bad guys like you might. John Wick style. John Wick style, right? Um, you know, but then since then, I've had different experiences and a lot of uh, new training and a lot of different thought processes and my philosophies has changed quite a bit. And so now, while I don't disagree that a fast draw is something that you should work on, um, is that the only draw that we have in our toolbox, you know, to handle the situation? You know, I think thinking critically about a dynamic situation like combat is, yeah, you know, one of those key key points of combat is like, how, how am I going to approach the situation? If the only tool I have is a hammer, every problem is a nail, you know, and I want to have a couple of different options ready for me. If I need to deploy that weapon, uh, maybe I need to get it out and in the fight immediately, or maybe I should get that weapon out carefully and quietly and wait for my opportunity to set up that counter ambush so that I have the greatest chance for success. Yeah. Or possibly not even getting the gun out yet, but maybe just getting your hand on it. Prepped. Right? Yeah. Or your cover garment, maybe. Because that's half that's half the battle, right? Mm. Like if you think about it, what what is probably the actually I could it's not probably it what is the most time consuming part of deploying particularly a handgun, especially from concealment, is the getting the gun the hand on the gun. Like clearing a garment and getting a hand on the gun. There you go. Mm-hmm. So assuming you have a garment to be cleared, but just getting access to the gun and getting your hand gripped around it. That's the most time consuming part of the draw process. Because once that's been accomplished, like if I've got this fully wrapped around my grip of my pistol, from there it's just bam. Like it can come out that quick, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, the, the surreptitious draw, at least in with that in consideration, as far as just getting your hand on the gun, um, that could be one angle. It could be one tactic, if you will. And that's, that's more than half the battle mm-hmm. as far as getting the gun in your hand and deployed. So a lot of things to consider here. Uh, we're going to share with you some, obviously some thoughts on that and um, love some, some different guidelines. I would, I was, is probably what I would call them. And uh, also some considerations, maybe some potential problems and some challenges that you should be aware of. Let, let's first spend a moment. I mean, you kind of hit on it a little bit. You, you said that, hey, you know, it's a speed draw, as you referred to it. And that certainly is what it is. Or, or in other words, a draw where time is of the essence and I am more or less reacting to a stimulus of some kind. And I've made the determination is go time now, right? Mm-hmm. So stimulus, okay, draw and go right to the, to the target. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean you go right to shooting, right? Because it might be that, that the presentation of the gun diffuses the situation, right? But we're talking a speed draw is stimulus, reaction, and that and the response is immediately drawing the gun with urgency in mind, mm-hmm. right? So in other words, surreptitiousness <laughs> is not, or stealthiness or whatever you want to call it, is not... A consideration. It's just uh, pure raw speed. Yeah, surreptitious. It just means on the down low. Yeah, like not so obvious, right? Right, right. So uh, I, I believe I think very similar to how you described it in that a speed draw is absolutely a critical skill for anyone that carries a gun for personal uh, or or other types of defense. 
especially for, for from concealment because it's a whole other layer of complexity, right? Of guns concealed. Now I've got to get access to it. So typically that means removing or moving a concealment garment and then also, you know, actually drawing the gun. So there, there's a lot going on there and it, it is a skill that must be de- developed and refined and practiced regularly if you're going to keep that skill sharp. Yeah. So, uh, and I think it's one of the reasons I think why we as concealed carriers or as shooters tend to spend a lot of time, especially like a dry fire on the speed draw is because it's what I see as a skill development type issue, right? That it requires many hundreds and thousands of repetitions to get it to where you can do it, not just quickly, but consistently. Mm-hmm. Like, and honestly, consist- consistency is more important probably than the overall speed. Right. Right. Because you fumble that gun out of the holster, you're not doing anybody any good. Yeah, it's a problem. Yeah, you get it out fast, but it's not in your hand and pointing in the right direction. Like, what good? Exactly. Exactly. So that that takes hundreds and thousands, almost certainly thousands of repetitions. And it's not just like do a whole bunch of repetitions and then you're good. No, like it's ongoing too if you're going to keep that speed draw skill at a re- reasonably proficient proficient level. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think it is a lot like riding a bike where you don't necessarily forget how to do it, but if it's been 10 years since you got on a bike, yeah, the first couple of pedal strokes, you're going to be like, whoop, and then you get it kind of sorted right. out, right? Whereas serotipus draw, serotipus, surreptitious, surreptitious. I don't want to be messing <laughs> a, that up it's all a, podcast. It's a mouth of a word. Yeah. Well, that you don't have to train at it, right? It's not a skill you're trying to develop, but it might be important to practice it a little bit. Yeah. Well, that's my point is that speed draw, I think, is a skill development mm-hmm. issue. And the surreptitious drill is more of a tactics uh, type issue. Right. It's, uh, it's, it's mindset. It's, it's being you know smart and quick to think on your feet, uh, understanding and reading situations for what they are, uh, understanding maybe what some of the patterns are. Uh, that uh, th- you know that you need to be looking for from your adversary, right? You got you got a threat of some kind. Uh, you might not even be the first party that's involved, but more of a secondary party to the situation. You know, like the classic holdup at a convenience store. You happen to stop in there. It could be the bank. It could be whatever, right? Where you're just a patron, and you're most likely not the first, you know, focal point for that. Uh, that that burglar robber whatever coming in right and so um you you know you may choose not to engage or get involved but you may also make the call that no i need to get involved something bad's about to go down and uh so you know the point here is is that you may not necessarily be the first party that's you know directly involved and so understanding how to read the situation it's a tactical consideration it's a mm-hmm. tactical skill it's not a hard skill in the same way that uh, the speed draw is right where it's a matter of repetitions. It's more right. of having the framework and the understanding mentally and understanding how to apply that. Well, I think one of the most important things that we can tell, you know, new shooters and new defenders is give them permission to think outside the box. Oh, absolutely. You know, like part of it is just knowing that this is even an option. 
You know, like I don't have to draw my gun and go John Wick every time. You know, I could draw my weapon in a much more careful and controlled and quiet manner and wait for my opportunity, you know, to pop up. So, yeah, I think that's part of it as well. Yeah. I wouldn't say that a surreptitious draw isn't also a, in some contexts, a uh, physical or technical skill. I think by and large, what we're talking about today is not so much that. But I will later on in the episode, there, there's, I think, an important consideration that we do keep in mind where there is there is some technical skill development that does need to occur. But mm-hmm. it's not going to be, you know, as um, intense or require, I think, as many repetitions right. as what like a traditional speed draw mm-hmm. requires. So, so uh, first up, let's uh, let's talk about the tactical side of the surreptitious draw. Uh, we talked, we hashed a few things out uh, in preparation for this episode. Uh, I think that one of those things that was mentioned was movement. Mm-hmm. So why don't you share your thoughts on what piece does movement uh, play in the surreptitious draw? Uh, well, on one hand, you have body positioning. So if I'm able, say I'm carrying in my three o'clock position, I could blade myself slightly away so that they can't see my holster and then draw behind um, using my own body as a shield. Um, I could, if there are bystanders in the area, you know, standing in front of me, maybe I just kind of step behind one of them and conceal myself with a draw or potato chip aisle or something like that. You know, maybe I can position myself in a way um, that will obscure that draw and make it less obvious that I've got a weapon coming right. out. So I kind of, I, let's actually break that down into two components. I, I see it as one is like a movement to cover mm-hmm. types or using cover would be one aspect. And, the, and then the other piece would be the uh, the positioning as far as, you know, maybe how I position my body or some other th- considerations relative to what I do with my body specifically. So not just getting myself to a place, but more like what I do with my body. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's talk about uh, movement to cover. So I, you, you nailed it perfectly. Like, you know, we see every week on like uh, the act of self-protection YouTube channel. Funny enough, I'm wearing the Active Self-Protection National Conference t-shirt here. Hey, didn't plan that necessarily for this episode, but uh, it's convenient that, you know, I mean, many of you are probably familiar with or have seen some of John's videos that he publishes over there in Active Self-Protection, right? And we've seen dozens and dozens or probably hundreds at this point of, you know, convenience store uh, robberies or uh, maybe maybe it's the gas station pump, you know, that kind of thing, right? So, uh, but let's like use the, the the classic convenience store example, right? So you're again, you're probably unless you are working as a clerk, that could be some of you out there. You're probably just a patron. You're probably you know milling about. You went in to get a snack, a drink, a water, whatever, a coffee doesn't matter. And so you're in one position of the store or one place in the store, and chances are a robber coming in is going to be focused on dealing with a cashier or multiple cashiers because that's what he's there for is give me the money, give me the goods. Um, And so in that kind of classic scenario, I mean, you've got a lot of tools at your disposal. If you're just a patron, uh, you got the potato chip aisle, like you just pointed out. Right. Hmm. So I could use that to my advantage. I can move, you know, I could kind of, you know, pull myself back a little bit. Maybe, you know, if I'm, if I'm currently like more exposed, I could, you know, just ease my way back to where I'm a little bit more obscured. 
Um, it is certainly possible that that uh, robber may look around and be like, hey, you, you know, get down on the floor or show me, you know, your hands right. or give me your stuff. Give me your phone. <clears throat> give me, you know, you got any money? You got any, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but it, where you're carrying also kind of matters too, right? So if you're carrying appendix, it's going to be a lot more difficult to obscure that draw, I would say, right? By blading your body. Sure. Sure. But let's come back to that in terms of the, the body positioning. So a uh, point here though is, is just like using an aisle of product right. um, or a drink machine or, or it could again be um, outside, you know, maybe you're at the pump, right? And, you know, I, if, if I have the opportunity to put something between me and my threat, mm-hmm. I want to do that. Like vehicle, vehicle door, the pump itself, you know, garbage can, whatever. I, I can use any number of things. If it can obscure, in other words, hide what I'm doing, then I can surreptitiously draw the gun, right? Right. So I think that'd be the thing that I, I would say is a major takeaway with movement to cover or use of cover to aid you in a stealth draw is being aware constantly, you know, when, especially, especially when you're out in public and especially when you're in transitional spaces to be paying attention to your surroundings, not just for threat observation, but where are my opportunities? What are the tools, the resources I can use for protection, you know, both from a threat, from incoming fire, but also to use in a tactical aspect but, for, for drawing the gun. That's an excellent point. I mean, like if you're going to, if you have the amount of time that you need to do a surreptitious draw, then that means that you, uh, you might you're probably going to have a little bit of time for you to like plan out your avenue of escape, you know, cause maybe you don't want to be shooting from behind those potato chips. Right. Maybe you want to start shooting from behind Absolutely. another position of cover, you know? So. Absolutely. It could also be that your primary intent is just to extricate yourself from the situation. You're not even planning necessarily on engaging. It's like, you know what? That's their problem. Not my problem. I got, other reasons to, you know, and, and there's no other reason required other than watching out for numero uno. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, but you make that decision and it could just be that, Hey, uh, I am going to use these objects, this environment to my advantage to try to withdraw myself from the situation. And also in the process, do a surreptitious draw or at the very least get my hand on my gun as I'm doing that, because it's, Hey, I don't intend on drawing and using this right now, but I'm trying to, to get away. And But if they suddenly, their attention is drawn to me, they come at me, you know, whatever. They notice that what I'm trying to do, well, now I'm ready. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't have to be, be only because I'm planning on using the gun, but also that I have other things in mind, but I'm prepared to go to the gun if I had to. Yep, I like it. That makes sense. On that, a little bit of a side note to that, on that kind of subject, uh, if you will. Uh, actually, in preparing, pr- preparing for this uh, episode, I was just kind of doing some internet searches. I was looking for like video stuff and different things. And I came across uh, a part of an old, the best uh, defense episode from uh, Michael Bain and Michael Seeklander, um, Michael Janich. Um they uh, they did an episode on surreptitious draw. And in that case, he actually well he did both a gun example, but he the first example they demonstrated on the best defense was a surreptitious draw of a knife. 
Mm. I thought that was pretty interesting because a lot of times, you know, you might have a, say a knife here, like I've got one here in my pocket clip and a folder is not a folding knife is not always, you know, perfectly ideal. You have your fixed blade always. You could probably place a hand on that or close to it without it being too um, obnoxious or noticeable. But in the uh, folding knife example, uh, he just placed his hand kind of in his pocket. You know, it just kind of looked, it looked rather natural. I mean, he was getting prepared. He, he had a hand up, like he's like, whoa, stop, stop right there, back up. And the hand here is not even doing anything threatening yet. And then the guy that's approaching him in this scenario that they're playing out, that guy has a knife. And so all of a sudden Mike's like, and in an instant has that knife out and deployed Mm -hmm. like almost quicker than you can blink because he was already ready for, it was sort of, I'm ready just in case. Oh, now it's time for next step, and because that next step was already prepared, it was yeah. it was out like that. Oh, with with blades, uh, you never draw unless you're already stabbing that guy. Like that's a totally different you know, yeah, yeah, tool yeah. mechanism, right? Absolutely. Because you your your whole goal is to get as close as possible to that person, yeah. and you want to surprise them with that knife as many times as possible before they realize what's going on. Sure, sure. Yeah. So, so there's some things that I think, I think we explored that pretty well. The idea of, um, let's use, you know, cover or objects or other environmental factors to obscure what I'm doing. Oh, to that note, it could also be something as simple as, um, OC spray. Mm. I could be surreptitiously, you know, drawing, getting ready to deploy, you know, a little can of palm or something. Smoke screen. So, So just... That just popped into my head as well. So, you know, there's a lot of, lot of different ways. This isn't, this isn't necessarily about the surreptitious draw of a gun, although that's probably where most of us are focused in our minds. It doesn't have to necessarily be mm-hmm. a gun. All right. So now let's let's get to, I know you're chomping at the bit on this because you already started trying to go down that, that path, uh, body positioning. Mm-hmm. So what do we need to be considering with respect to what do we do with our body now? Yeah. So, um, your body positioning, you know, where your holster is at is going to play a bit, pretty big role. I mean, if you've got to be carrying on a three o'clock position, being able to blade that hip away and obscure that weapon draw is going to be pretty, if you're good at it and you kind of practice it a few times, like somebody, you can get that weapon out before you even have to worry about it. Um, the other option is going to be is if you're carrying, um, appendix, that's going to be much more difficult for you to blade yourself off. You're going to basically have to turn totally around before you can draw that weapon. And that's going to look suspicious because like our whole goal here is to avoid suspicion until we got that weapon out um, so that we can use surprise to uh, mount our counterattack. Yeah. So um, then you also have maybe even uh, how you're carrying. I know um, I've seen some of the uh, revolver enthusiasts, you know, they start off with a pistol in their pocket and they've already got a hand on the gun and they just shoot straight from the pocket. And so I think that could be also somewhat yeah. be considered an obscure draw. Oh, absolutely. Or, or they start with it in the pocket and they still draw it out, you know, to shoot it. So they don't have to shoot through. But there's, there's all myriad of ways that can it's be cooler done, right? if you shoot through the pocket. Though. It is, it is pretty cool. It's but pretty maybe, cool. maybe I'm wearing a really, you know, expensive jacket. It's worth it. I mean, like, you see where this hole came from? I shot a bad guy from my pocket. Um, you might also look into uh, clothing types and clothing designs. Mm-hmm. Um, there are jackets and things. Uh, Oftentimes, they're maybe geared a little bit more towards the law enforcement market. Uh, but I've even seen some stuff come to market more in more recent years that's more geared to the, towards the concealment market, where 
you can reach through a pocket, uh, through like say a jacket pocket, but it's got an opening on the inside or even a slit. Mm-hmm. Like this has been popular, like law enforcement, this has been a thing forever where they have the zippered sides. Yep. Right. Like, so that, that could kind of play, you know, that could be maybe used to your advantage as well. But yep. I really like some of the newer stuff we see where you can reach through a pocket and, you know, through it and into say your waistband and, 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 uh, retrieve a gun. That's true. Yeah. That's very cool. I know, um, something you could do, especially if you're carrying a coat and you're carrying appendix, a lot of times you carry that in front of you, you know, you drape that coat in front of you as you're doing your appendix draw. Could, that might be yeah. a quick way to get that out quick. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you talked about the difficulty in say blading the body if you were carrying appendix. Uh, to that point, let's let's talk a little bit about maybe some pros and cons of some different uh, carry positions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, first of all, the three o'clock or or behind the hip, you know, say from three o'clock to, to you know four or five o'clock, uh, that can have some advantages, like you point out, and that it you know I don't have to turn my body very much to where that becomes difficult to see, mm-hmm. right? However, one of the cons of carrying on the hip or behind the hip is that for me to actually draw the gun, you see how, like if I was reaching to my hip, I got to chicken wing it, mm-hmm. right? Like my, my arm and elbow has to come up and back or up and out. And that becomes a very obvious gesture. So you almost have to blade your body to where you can't, you know, from wherever angle your adversary may be able to see you from. You, you need to blade yourself because otherwise this is going to be pretty obvious what's going on. Like everybody rec- – like anybody that, that deals with anything martial arts related at all like knows what this motion looks like, mm-hmm. drawing a gun. Yeah, and if I'm a bad guy robbing people, I'm going to be looking for that motion in particular. Exactly. Yeah. Whereas while I may not have the advantages that say a three o'clock or behind the hip carry would have as far as being able to maybe just slightly blade the body to obscure things – but the getting your hand to a gun in the appendix position doesn't require this much telegraph. True. Yeah. So you know, and it's all going to be situationally dependent. It's all going to be dependent on um, who's involved, what's involved, how you know, what other distractions are going on. As far as you know, again, if this is a public place and I'm dealing with, uh, you know, I'm I'm just a third party. A uh, bad guy is dealing with a bank teller, a, a store clerk, whatever. Maybe there's other customers between, you know, or just enough visual noise, you know, from where I am to where the threat is mm-hmm. that it's not as big a deal for me to even just, you know, even facing to just do this where it may not be picked up just because I'm not, you know, advertising or telegraphing huge motion and I can get my hand right on the gun. Right. And that may not be noticed right away. So, so there's just, I mean, the point is, is there's a lot of nuance here and that's why it's more of a thinking man's game, a tactical game when we're talking about the surreptitious draw stuff, because you need to understand, okay, what's, what's my particular situation here today? What's going on here? What do I need to do to access my gun? If, should I need my gun? Do I need to even draw the gun? And maybe let's, let's touch on that a little bit too. Um, yeah, actually, a little bit later on, I got a little point. I think we'll hit on that uh, separately. So we'll come we'll come back to that. Um, other things, body positioning wise. Hmm. Um, maybe drawing from, learn how to draw from the prone. Um, that could be a position yeah, that sure. we see a lot of our sure. attackers put victims in, you know, get on the ground, face down, that kind of thing. So being able to draw your weapon when you're face down and prone, you know, that might be a thing sure. that you might need to do. 
Sure. And yeah. of course, shooting from the ground, you might have to come up shooting. Do you know how to get to your feet with a gun in your hand in a safe way? I mean, a lot of people, you know, don't do that, you know, know how to get up from off of the ground, finger off the trigger, muzzle pointed in a safe direction. You know, that's a pretty common time right. for um, for uh, negligent discharges to happen. So mm-hmm. that could be a part of the skill part of this endeavor is, you know, do you know how to get up and down off of the ground with a gun in your hand? Can you do it one-handed or no-handed? Yeah, uh, that's a solid point as well. Very solid point. You know, uh, speaking of body positioning, let's say that you are going to, uh, in a co- covert manner, draw your gun, right? Like you've made the decision, I'm drawing the gun, mm-hmm. right? Then what? Right. Maybe it's not time yet to actually put it in use. And that's where the other part of this episode title comes from today, you know, timing your counter ambush. Okay. And we're getting kind of the, to the crux of that statement here in a moment, but uh, you're basically lo- looking for the right opportunity, right? At right. that point, you've already done the, the hard part of accessing and drawing the gun. Now what? Well, I want to still be covert until the time comes that I counter ambush, right? And so you want to give some thought to, hey, if I get my gun out of, out of the holster, do I want to just have it out here hanging out in, you know, in space? Probably not. Do I want to be down on a low ready? Probably not if the point was to be covert, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you can get out of the holster and, you know, kind of hide it behind your leg or, you know, something to that, to that extent. Uh, just think about how you might obscure still, even while it's out of the holster, while maintaining proper muzzle discipline, right? Not muzzling yourself right. or other innocents where possible to obscure where that gun is until you're ready to put it into use. Yeah, I know um, a fairly common practice with police officers that are, they've got somebody approaching their driver's side door or something like that. They will draw a weapon and keep it on the door kind of a thing in case that person tends, you know, turns out to be a problem. So and you could also have an obscure draw inside of your vehicle. That's fair. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Very, very good thoughts there as well. So uh, moving to cover, mm-hmm. body positioning. Yep. So in other words, can I move to a place of not just ballistic safety, but also that conceals my actions? And then two, can I or do I need to position my body in such a way that obscures my actions as well? Uh and I think there's one more thing we didn't quite hit on, and that is, I mean, kind of kind of alluded to it, but I would say practice drawing your gun with as minimal motion and kind of telegraphing motions as possible. Now, I would say this is actually as good as a general rule period for drawing a gun because usually the least amount of motion required to do an action is going to be in most cases, the most efficient way of doing mm-hmm. a thing. And so I carry primarily independent position. And so when I draw my gun, I try to not move my shoulders, not move my head, not move anything else other than elbow bends and, you know, arm comes up and not even the whole arm, right? Like the idea is for this part of the arm from the elbow up to the shoulder to not even really move. I just want this part to move, the lower part to move to get to the gun. Because um, it's more efficient, but also just be aware that, especially especially if you are not the the primary focus of your threat, what is the peripheral vision really good at picking up on? Um, large movement, motion, yeah, right. 
that's a survival level instinct that that I mean we all have. And so peripheral vision is super sensitive to motion. And so even if you're not the primary focus of your threat, uh, if you have some major telegraphing motion as you're trying to do your covert draw, well, that may draw their attention now to you. Right. Right. So that's why it's super important to minimize your own motion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, now, if they're looking at you, there's that's a whole other thing. Um, and we'll, we'll come, there's, I think, some solid points we'll come back to here in a moment on that. But first, before we get uh, any further along, today's episode is also sponsored by the 2024 Guardian Conference. A lot of things we're talking about here today are relevant to training. We're talking about learning and studying and training this stuff, practicing this stuff so that you are prepared for um, your worst case scenario. Should that day come? I hope it doesn't, but it may. One of the other great things you can do is actually attending live in-person training with world-class instructors, which is definitely what you're going to find at the 2024 Guardian Conference. We'll have a all-star cast or roster of world-class instructors yet again, uh, many of them re- returning from last year for those of you that attended with us last year, and probably a couple of new faces as well. We always try to keep things kind of freshly rotating in and out where possible because mm-hmm. uh, we want each year to be its its own, you know, solid year. Uh, so if you attend with us every year at the conference, like we've had a few people do for three years with us now, we want you to be able to get something new and unique each year and not just see the same thing again and again and again. So that's one thing you can expect from the Guardian Conference. We're going to have a bunch of really great courses that you can take in Oklahoma City this this year. That's where we host it every year is in Oklahoma City at the Oklahoma City Gun Club. September, I think it's 20 to the 22nd, I think are the dates. Don't quote me on that, um, but it's right around the, the 20th-ish. Of, I think it's the 20th to the 22nd of 2024 is the dates of the, of the 2024 Guardian Conference. Hope to see you guys there. Hope you'll join us. Everyone that's attended in the past has gotten huge, immense value out of it. Tons of lessons learned. And there will probably be some things that are covered that are all that different from what we're talking about here today on the podcast. So uh, you're going to see some some shooting classes, but you're also going to see some more nuanced stuff. You're going to see training as well on legal aspects of use of force. You're going to see training on hand-to-hand combatives, jiu-jitsu, um, the like. Okay, You're going to see training on Medical. OC stra- spray. I was getting to that. Saving the best for last. <laughs> You're going to see training on OC spray. I uh, hope to have Chris Seipert back this year for force-on-force training, which was a fabulous class last year as well, well-received. And I think we're going to have some of our first classes at this fourth annual Guardian Conference in something other than just pistol shooting. I think we're going to have some classes. I'm just teasing it here. We don't have the curriculum totally locked down yet, but I think we're going to have some defensive carbine courses Mm. as well. Uh, So that would be really cool Mm. and something, you know, that I think some of you will really look forward to. So stuff to look forward to. And we will have last but not least and super duper important (laughs) medical training, like trauma, real world trauma life-saving training put on by our very own Doc McLaughlin. Ah, thank you. Thank you, Riley. Mountain Man Medical. Make me blush. (laughs) He thought I was going to forget him, but no, I want to make make the the red man blush. (laughs) (laughs) That's working. (laughs) 
So guys, check out guardianconference.com, sign up. Uh, we still have early bird pricing, but that could go, I'm just, I'm just letting you know, that could go away anytime. So I wouldn't delay if you can help it at all by getting signed up at guardianconference.com today. And we'll see you there. Okay. So, and Lorraine, appreciate you checking in on Facebook, watching us live. She says, great topic today. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Lorraine. I'm glad you find value in it. We got still some more to cover here. Eddie from California says, hey, guys, from California, wishing you guys the best on this new year. Really appreciate that. And also thank you to Pat and Dot Gun on YouTube. And uh, yeah, I think that, that covers everybody that's commented so far in the comments for saying hello. Guys, if you have any questions or anything, feel free to uh, to comment in the uh, live feed. And if you're not catching this live, you can always shoot us an email at podcast at concealedcarry.com. Shoot us questions. It could be about this topic. It could be something else you're wondering about. It could be a topic suggestion. You're always welcome to reach out to us on our pod, a podcast hotline, podcast at concealedcarry.com. Let's get to the, uh, I think this is one of the maybe more critical aspects with regards to the surreptitious draw. And that is waiting your turn. So what are some of your thoughts? I mean, what, what when you hear wait your turn, what does that mean to you? <clears throat> that, to me, that means that not every situation requires or should have a fast draw out of the holster. You know, I would say um, pretty often when I was new to uh, firearms training and that kind of thing, I, I had envisioned myself that every encounter I would have would involve me getting the gun out as fast as possible. Um, and so I think that's an important aspect to kind of keep in the back of the mind is that, um, you got to treat every situation, you know, differently. Um, and thinking about that ahead of time, even running through some scenarios in your own mind, um, that'll help you to kind of keep in control of what your decision-making is going to be given that opportunity. Because it's unlikely that your exact scenario is going to play out, but you might have key components of different scenarios that you run through that kind of mesh together, and it shortens your response time dramatically. Um, That way, you're able to make better decisions legally and defensively. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, that is really the essence of what we mean when we say waiting your turn. Uh, to your point, you start off by kind of saying, you know, not every self-defense situation is going to be, you know, something happens, X, X happens and Y is me quickly drawing and, you know, immediately firing shots. Yeah. Um, there, there are those that happen. And even some of those instances can involve a waiting of turns, so to speak. But uh, quite often with a surreptitious draw, it very much involves the idea of waiting for your turn. What does that mean? Well, you're in a situation. Uh, we've used this, the convenience store example a couple times, so let's over overuse now. Let's use one where now you are the focus, the attention of your threat. They approach you on the street. Maybe there's a couple of them. Okay, maybe they've got the drop on you, even meaning like. You, you know, briefly were distracted. You didn't pick up on it. You got one facing you. You got one that's bladed off at an angle. So, you know, kind of in like a cover position, which would be what, you know, law enforcement is trained to do. But, hey, there's a reason why they're trained to do that mm-hmm. because it's effective. And, uh, yeah, bad guys do that too. So, you got a couple of threats approaching you and they're like gun out or knife or whatever their tool uh, of threat is. 
And it's like, hey, give me, you know, give me that phone you got in your hand there. Oh, yep, here you go. All right, what else you got? Your wallet, money, credit cards, etc. Right. And so we're, I'm gonna give a little shout out. Um, and he probably doesn't know me really at all. Uh, I, I certainly. Have, I'm aware of him and followed him for a long time, and I've wanted to train with him for a long time. I hope to have an opportunity at the at the TACCON uh, in uh, March or April this year uh, to be able to do so. And that's that's Craig Douglas of ShivWorks. Uh, there's a really great video that he, a little, you know, short, a reel that he put out on his uh, social media, talking about the idea of patterning. And uh, I mean, this is a very very real workable solution here. And so he basically talks about, it's like, okay, here's my phone, right? Here's my wallet, right? And you've basically already prepped the threat uh, with this pattern of, hey, here's my phone. Oh, let me go back in my pocket. Here's my my, uh, wallet. Oh, let me go for something else here. And this time, you know, instead you're coming out with a gun. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And one of the things that he he talks about, I mean, first of all, that's an example of waiting your turn, right? Because you could, as soon as you saw that threat approach you, you could have been like, oh, it's go time. But drawing on a drawn gun, mm, you might win, but there's a high chance of you not winning. And there's an even higher chance that you could still win, but you're going to walk away pretty badly hurt. Mm-hmm. Okay. Or to die later on from wounds you received, right? And so, hey, you know, like we talked, uh, was it two episodes ago? Or maybe it was just last week. I can't remember. Recently, we had the episode. We Remember, we I shared some stuff um, from, uh, actually, it might have been with Jacob, now that I think about it. Uh, but it all, you know, sometimes blurs in my mind. Uh, I, I shared some things from John Hearn, who did a presentation on crime and criminals. I attended it virtually. It was fantastic. Shared a one statistic about uh, kind of like what to expect if you were to fully comply with a oh, yeah. robber's demands. Mm-hmm. Uh, then the, the next one was if you were to respond with any kind of force. Okay. The next one, you know, meaning like you just like, maybe you try to tackle them or you try to take their weapon. Uh, and then a, another statistic there was you respond with, the use of a gun, right? And the statistics basically were that if you comply, there's like a, at least, I think, oh man, I think it's at least 25% chance. Yeah, I think you're right. If you just, if just by complying that you may get seriously wounded or killed just by complying, one in four chance. And if you resisted, like if you fought back in some way, uh, there's a good chance you get hurt, but high, but the chance of preventing that theft goes way, you know, like you pre- your chances of preventing it go way up. Um, if you use a gun in defense uh, to an armed robbery, your chances of preventing that robbery from taking place not only go way down, but also your chances of actually getting hurt went down, hmm. if you recall. So um, pretty interesting stuff, right? And so uh, basically what I'm talking about here with this Craig Douglas example of patterning is it's sort of a, a mix of the two where it's like, you know, because they've already got the drop on you, it's probably not wise to go right immediately to a speed draw and bang, bang, bang. Um, but you could start feigning compliance in, hey, you know, here's this thing. Oh, wait, here's another thing. Oh, you know, here's my keys to my car. And then, 
oh, wait, bam, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and, and because you've patterned them in this pattern of behavior that, hey, he's complying, he's giving me stuff as long as he keeps giving me stuff. I mean, I, the bad, like we've seen robberies where the bad guy takes all the stuff and even though that person completely complied at the very end, he's just like, yeah, bang, you know, yep. just, just like there was one. Um, a convenience store, you know, basically execution style where uh, the guy was shot, you know, he'd complied the whole way through and that the uh, robber in that case, he, he even uh, stated, I think, uh, I'm trying to remember it. I'm going off the news story that I remember reading or as an article I read about it, but uh, oh, and actually now I think about it, John Hearn used this as an example uh, and it was local to him. And so maybe that's why he had this information. That's where this is coming from. Uh, convenience store robbery in Mississippi some, somewhere. And uh, the guy complies. Uh, the the guy shoots him um, at the end. And uh, the whole reason he did it is because he just wanted to see what it was like to kill somebody. Right? So that's all it takes. Like, compliance is not always the answer. So anyway, the point here, though, is like Craig Douglas talking about patterning. It's like, here, here's this thing. Here's that thing. And the other, there's an other important thing that he t- touches on in that little short video segment. He says, hey, if you've patterned them by handing them things, then when it, when it comes time to bring the gun out, you probably want to do that <clears throat> at about the same pace as you did everything else. So you want it to be like, here's my phone, here's my wallet, here's some bullets. Exactly. Yeah. Right, right. So interesting things to consider there. Um, other thoughts on waiting your turn? Uh, I think one thing that you might, one reason why you might want to wait your turn is so that your target is positioned differently. You know, yeah. um, perhaps you want to wait for your target to move to a more advantageous location so yep. that when you shoot them, you don't have to risk collateral damage with pass-throughs of the bullets and that kind of thing. So while you're waiting for your opportunity to engage this threat, you might want to prep yourself, get your weapon out, you know, and and get staged that way when the time comes, you're quick to react. Yep. Yeah. Very, very, very valid point there as well. Uh, and I would just say that there's a lot of great examples of waiting your turn, uh, both good and bad on, again, John Korea's active self-protection YouTube channel. And this is a concept he talks about quite extensively in those, you know, I, I've heard him reference it dozens of times. Uh Either because you see instances of somebody immediately going to use of force Mm -hmm. and they just can't outrun the other guy, right? And so it's like, hey, you should have waited your turn. Had you waited your turn, you may have been able to counter ambush a lot more successfully. And other examples where people simply fail to act as well uh, in time. Another critical thing. So I, I think that's kind of the flip side of that. But then there's also lots of good examples too, where people successfully demonstrate this concept of waiting their turn and uh, deploying it when the time is right. And in fact, we got an example. Um, this is actually published on our website, concealedcarry.com. It's actually a, an article uh, written by uh, our friend Matthew Marister. Uh, I think about two years ago, he did this article called Two on One, The Surreptitious Draw, Video of a Defensive Gun Use. 
And I believe this was also featured on Active Self Protection's uh, YouTube channel as well. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and share this video. I know that those of you listening to the podcast only won't be able to see it. I'll try to describe to you what's taking place as this video plays. And then the link to this to this article on our site uh, as well that has the video embedded inside that article. Uh, the link for that will be in the show notes of today's episode. So if you're listening and you want to go back after the fact, and see what we're talking about, you'll have that opportunity. It'll be in the show notes. So let me get this pulled up here. And let's roll it. Here we go. So this is a robbery. Uh, two suspects, a male and a female, come in pointing a gun. The guy in the red shirt there, I'm going to go ahead and actually pause it. Uh, he, he's actually an off-duty police officer. And this happened in Brazil, by the way. So he's an off-duty off cop. Uh, he's in, in some kind of retail store here. You see a couple of workers behind the counter. Uh, several of them disappear right quick, which is, which is, I mean, good on them. Smart. Yeah. You know, I don't know exactly. We can't see the, the, the view of the camera is kind of towards the front of the store at an angle. Uh, they just disappear behind the, the view of the camera. So I don't know if they go into like a back room or an exit, or maybe they just got down on the floor. Who knows? Either way, they kind of got themselves out of the way, out of the picture. Uh, there's one, uh, clerk type person here or worker, uh, that you'll see kind of, you know, complies with these robbers demands, uh, opens up, uh, I'm not exactly sure if it's a register, but, uh, uh, some kind of box. And so anyway, guy in the red shirt, he stands at the counter. He's actually on his phone. If you noticed, uh, when the, when the robbers first enter. So he doesn't even pick up on this until it's too late. Like when he turns around, if we go back here slightly, uh, when he turns around right there, uh, actually maybe just a yeah, right there. That's where he really gets his first glance. He turns and looks to his left and sees gun in his face. Yeah. So when I was brand new to gunfighting, I would have thought go time, draw your weapon, go to work. Right. And that's not the right and answer. And if that was what he attempted to do, almost certainly he'd catch a bullet between his teeth. Mm -hmm. Right. So, uh, that's his first picture is gun in face, like six feet away. It's too late to do anything at this point. Right. Yeah. Other than what we'll see as we let this play out, immediately he hands his phone to the to the male suspect. Then he takes off his backpack, hands it to him, and then he starts getting down. I don't know whether he was told to get on the floor, but he gets first down on his knees and he gets down even lower. And you see, that was the last moment right there uh, where the uh, the male suspect looked to his right, or in other words, kind of looked over top of where the off-duty cop is. That's the last time he looks that direction. It's like, you know what? I got this guy's stuff. He's on the floor. He's no longer a threat to me. Now they're back to business. The female accomplice is you know, at this point pulling money out of the drawer. Uh, the the male, male suspect is pointing the gun at the worker. Hey, what else you got? Give me give me all the stuff. Bam. Three shots from the from the off-duty cop. So watch that again. Just like this. You get three shots off. I don't even know that the bad guy gets any shots off at all. And by the way, he's dead. He just doesn't know it yet. Uh, we can let this play out the rest of the way, but, uh, he, he starts trying to get out of that. Uh, his female accomplice gets up and he just starts collapsing to the floor. Uh, yes, graphic a little bit. I'm sorry for that, but, uh, it's the reality of things. She actually takes the gun and she gets out of Dodge. She, she just leaves him behind. She's like, yep, oh, sorry, tough beans. Mm -hmm. I'm out. Uh, not, I'm not getting caught, but she did in fact get caught. So this is a really great example. If we roll from the top really great example of what we're talking about here today uh first of all you know he he waits his turn uh he does this surreptitiously he's down on the ground that goes to the point that you made earlier about hey do you even know how to draw effectively while you're 
proned out or on your knees or crouched down or that kind of thing, right? And you can see how effective this is because when this guy comes up over the counter, I mean, they have no clue what just hit them. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's game over for them. And by the way, as soon as he uh, does what he needs to do there, he gets out. He is out. And he did experience a malfunction. You'll see right here. He it looks like he successfully clears it. But by that point, he realizes the bad guy is finally pointing his gun back at him. And that's when the cop just decides to, to take off. So there you have it. A real world caught on camera example of a surreptitious draw. That's a rough one. It is. Uh, rough, you know, for, for the bad guys for sure. Yeah. Uh, no one else, uh, according to reports, were, were injured in that. So uh, successful story for the good guys involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it doesn't mean that there aren't, you know, still consequences. By that, you know, you got to live with the fact that, hey, I still took a life today. Uh, yeah, it was justified, but, you know, it still, it still carries a weight. Definitely. So... Yeah, um, wait your turn. It's important. You got to read the situation. You got to know when the time is right. Uh, that was a great example of showing, you know, he, he feigned compliance. He got down on the ground. He waited several seconds. And I don't know if he, you can't really see him. And I don't know if he was kind of peeking up and, and, and looking for them. But if, I, if it was me and I had the opportunity, I'd want to be kind of trying to peek and observe the body language of the threats to, to go, Okay. Yep. They are fully invested in what they're doing. They, in other words, they're distracted. Mm-hmm. This is my time. Yep. And I think in the meantime, you should be selecting your targets judiciously. Yep. You know, who are you going to shoot first? Yep. You know, and I think work your way through that tactically. I mean, that's what's going to be going on in my head. If I've got a second to think about getting my gun out Absolutely. slow, I'm going to think about who am I going to be shooting first. Absolutely. And it doesn't mean that nobody else is armed, mm-hmm. right? In this case, you have a male. A suspect and a female suspect, the male, he's, as far as we can see, the only one that's armed. And it seems apparent to me that the off-duty cop picks up on that as well. He directed all his gunfire at the armed man, Mm -hmm. the armed male suspect. Uh, I mean, the female is also kind of like right there real close, but you... Looking at where his gun is is pointed, it's it's all directed at the guy with the gun. Uh, And that's that's the right thing to do. But we, you know, maybe that's a similar situation for us. But we can't assume that that female suspect, or if it's, it doesn't have to be a woman, but you know, who, the other players aren't also armed as well, or can't even, become armed. True. Yep. Pick up the gun from the guy that you just shot. You know, so so those things are also important considerations too. Yep. Good stuff. Good stuff. Um, the the last thing here, talking about the the tactics of the surreptitious draw, would be creating distractions. How much you go about doing that? Any thoughts? Classic cup of coffee in the face. <laughs> I mean, what better distraction do you need, right? <laughs> Maybe a flashbang or a smoke grenade. Now, I think um, um, something that you could do, obviously, you know, maybe oh, drop your po- cell phone. Pocket dirt. Pocket dirt, yeah, no, pocket sand. Pocket sand. Yeah, yeah right they, in the face, right? Yeah. yeah. Or maybe, <laughs> you know, you go to hand over your uh, cell phone or your wallet and you drop yeah. it in front of them. You got to be careful with that if you don't sell it right. And they catch wind of what you're doing. You know, I'm sure these people have been around a little bit. I imagine they've yeah. run into that. And there have been uh, instances where people have gotten yeah. shot just because the the the, the robber feels slighted. Mm-hmm. You know, that, hey, you know, you just 
even if it's just an inconvenience, not even because you did something intentionally, mm-hmm. but you just inconvenienced them. That that could be all it takes to you know keep keep in mind that some of these guys may have already spent time hard time mm-hmm. in prison, and uh, there that's a very different world and a very different culture uh, in a world where if you insult the honor of another man, especially like I mean it could be even this for the slightest thing. You just bumped into them, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, you just looked at them the wrong way. That could be all it takes for some of these, you know, hardened guys to just flip a switch and execute you on the spot. Right. So yeah. So creating distractions can absolutely be a tool, uh, but it is something I do think that the way I think of it would probably be more as a last resort. Like if I feel like I don't have any other viable solution for being able to get access to my gun. Um, or I'm reading the situation and, and, you know, go, Hey, I think this is, I think this is viable. Yeah. Um, It could also be though, like, you know, in the case of your, you are the employee of, of a store, let's say, you know, a a convenience store clerk, go back to that example. Um, they're going to be heavily focused on primarily stuff like cash register, getting money or other valuable items. And usually it's going to be focused more on money. Right. It doesn't necessarily have to be that you create a distraction, but you do just enough to get them to where they're distracted by something else. Or wait for them to become distracted by something right. else before you. And that's what we saw in that uh, video example we just played a moment ago. Right. Right. Where he he did just enough, feigned just enough compliance uh, until he was no longer the focus of their attention. Now they're distracted by something else, and now is my opportunity. Mm-hmm. So. Well, part of what worked, why that worked so well, is he immediately showed that he was no threat, and so that put them at ease. Oh, this is just another one of these robberies. We don't have to worry about him. If he had presented in any way with any sort of body language, hey, I'm going to resist, then yeah. they would have immediately been a, having a, a closer watch on him. Yeah. By the way, I see a questions come in from Joseph on YouTube. Joseph, I'm going to address your question here in a moment um, as kind of part of, a, of another, um, you know, point that we that we are going to cover uh, with this particular topic here today. And that's actually what I'd like to get to next. Let's talk about a few problems and or challenges with regards to today's topic of, you know, the surreptitious or the covert draw and some of these tactical considerations. So the first thing that comes to mind for me, uh, uh, Brian, is that, and this could be particularly a problem when you have made the determination to sort of pre-draw your gun, you know, to get yourself ready. But what if you've either misread the situation? Uh, maybe you've, maybe you don't have an understanding of the law fully enough uh, either to where, in other words, you draw your gun sort of preemptively and now it could get turned into uh, some sort of like aggravated assault, right? Which is if I draw my gun and and someone you know views that in a, particularly in a threatening manner, like that's that's straight up aggravated assault, mm-hmm. right? And so um, it you know obviously that might not be so much of a problem when I'm dealing with a very much obviously armed, particularly like with a firearm, for instance, or a knife, I suppose, you know. But like if it's very apparent that I'm dealing with a threat an armed threat. Okay. Might not be so gray, let's say, but maybe, maybe they're not, you know, holding a gun in their hand. Maybe they're not holding a knife in their hand. Okay. Um, 
maybe they're just threatening in some fashion. And, you know, people will talk about, well, I could get myself ready and place my hand on my gun. Okay. Uh, What if you take that too far and you draw your gun out? And it also could just depend on your state. And that's another critical thing here that you need to understand what the laws are for your particular jurisdiction or the state in which you live. Because it may view things like, say, brandishing uh, differently than maybe it does in some other states. Mm-hmm. So simply just by like, you know, placing your hand on your gun uh, might get you in some in trouble in some some context. So the point to what I'm saying is, I'm not. We can't give you all the answers because most partly because we can't speak to the whole variety of circumstances that could occur. Nor can we speak exactly to all the different states that have some variances in the statutes with regards to this kind of stuff. Right. But the point is to make sure that you don't go a step further than what you probably should have in an effort to be surreptitious, to sort of be prepared as a just in case for that next step. Make sure you understand the law so you don't go too far and end up with an aggravated assault charge against you. Right. We're just dudes on the internet. Yeah. Every situation is going to be different. Every person is going to be different. Their own lines in the sand. Yeah. So this is just more of us encouraging some critical thinking, you know, thinking outside the box, thinking outside of your training program, you know, maybe trying up a couple of different things so that you stay on top. And then also viewing our world in a realistic way, you know, like what realistically, how are these things going to happen and how are we going to confront them when they do? Yep, absolutely. Here's another possible. Oh, sorry. Now to to address Joseph's uh, question, he asked, can you discuss the importance of finding a way to let the cops know you are a good guy with a gun? Mm-hmm. And, and, and why I was linking that with this kind of aggravated assault type discussion um, is that I could and I could actually have legal justification to do whatever it is I'm doing with the gun as far as surreptitiously drawing it, you know, actually drawing it and just having holding it down by my side or putting my hand on my gun and maybe it may not be visible to like, if you bladed yourself, it might not be visible to the other party that I'm dealing with, but it might be visible to somebody else. Right. Right. And so it's also good to, to give some consideration to just, just make sure you're kind of thinking or at least aware that what you're doing and how that might be perceived by other witnesses or third parties to the situation that you're in. Good guys with guns get mistaken for bad guys with guns. All the time. So, you know, we, we, we have a very, very real life example of that that happened in Arvada a couple mm-hmm. of years ago. Uh, and that actually specifically addresses the question that Joseph is asking, which is how do we deal or let cops know that we're a good guy with a gun? Well, I think that there's some, some things that can be done. And I also think that, unfortunately, we are also somewhat at the mercy of the level of training, the level of understanding uh, the the uh, experience level, the um, the street smarts of the particular officer that's involved. Um, so there's, even though we may do certain things, I'm getting out of the way first off here that it doesn't guarantee that they're still going to end up, you know, burning us down because you know they they don't realize that we're a good guy, right? Uh, and that's what happened in uh, that case in Arvada a couple years ago. Although that was an interesting one because. Our good guy, after dispatching the bad guy, then picked up bad guy's gun. And I think just the timing of every, of it all is I think officer came around 
a, a you know a, a building corner or whatever yep. and, and right at that moment as good guy is whole you know basically had just picked up the rifle and uh so guess what he gets mistaken as being you know hey we got a call <clears throat> of somebody shooting in the area with an with an assault rifle quote quote unquote uh and so that's the image you see and you're responding cop and you know speed and urgency is of you know utmost importance um what are you going to do right so the important thing there is to understand joseph um you can't you cannot guarantee there's no sure answer here in other words some things that you can do um i think first of all i think this is incumbent on us is number one being succinctly aware of our surroundings and the situation as it's developing, including the arrival of any law enforcement. Because I think one of the first key things is that I need to recognize exactly, if possible, when law enforcement arrive on scene. Because if I can do that, then I can preempt you know, what they're about to do. Because if they show up on scene and they see me with gun outstretched or whatever, um, it may only take a couple of seconds before they're hopping out of their cars and they're, they're drilling you. So I need to be hugely, hugely situationally aware, like more so than I was beforehand of what's going on as the situation continues to develop, because part of that development is the arrival of help, the arrival of Ellie of law enforcement. And so if I can preempt that by, I, I you know, whether it's flashing lights, whether it's, a siren, whether it's, you know, making sure I'm, I'm trained on my threat, but I'm also making sure I'm periodically checking what's going on around me or changing my positioning. Cause I can still maintain, you know, uh, particularly if I have the space to do so, I don't have to just stay in one position and, you know, head on a swivel and do this where I'm actually turning away from them. I can actually circle them. Right. And still be trained on them and paying attention to them, but still, changing my angle so I can see my surroundings. So I'd say that's actually, Joseph, probably the first really key thing that we can do to make sure that we're not mistaken as being bad guys with a gun in our hands is making sure we recognize the precise moment law enforcement arrive on scene or other good guys with guns, right? Because then at the very least I can begin communicating with them because I can take non-threatening actions or, or motions with the gun, even in my hand, like just like dropping the gun, uh, to a low ready, uh, to, you know, and, and, and like waving, like, Hey, help, 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 you know, and like, whatever there, it's going to be so dependent on the situation, uh, as to what you need to say, what you need to communicate the gestures that you make, whatever. There's a lot of things I can do or going all the way forward to the point of, of actually, I recognize law enforcement arriving on scene. Let's get that gun on the ground, Mm -hmm. you know, so, or even right back to the holster. I don't care. You know, you got to decide for you what's the best course of action in that moment. It's also going to be dependent on how imminent the threat still is, right? That's got to be a factor here. But I think the key thing is recognizing when another good guy with a gun shows up on scene. Mm -hmm. Yeah. uh, Peripheral awareness is going to be important. You never know if their accomplice is sneaking up behind you. So you got to stay on top of that. But also I think it's important to realize you shouldn't be trying to convince the cops of anything at this point. Right. You just need to be listening to orders because they're going to be treating you like one of the bad guys. That's okay. This is not our time to be like, Hey, whoa, I'm the good guy. I've got all the proof and the evidence. 
what they're going to want you to do is they want you to drop your weapon as soon as possible. Yep. Then they're going to tell you to lay on the ground and put your hands behind your back and they're going to cuff you up and then they're going to figure out what's going on. Yep. So don't be arguing in this particular moment. Realize that they're going to assume you're a bad guy until they get everything figured out. I have uh, my best friend uh, was an Aurora cop and he came up to his uh, apartment complex one night after a date night with his wife um, and some guy is trying to get in through a window. And so he goes, hey, what are you doing over there? And the guy turns around and starts like walking at uh, my friend and my friend draws down on him and prones him out and calls uh, Lakewood police department to come pick him up. And so my buddy's an Aurora cop tells him his badge number and everything. Mm. This is the other thing that you want to do is make sure that the cops have your clothing description description. Yeah. If somebody's calling nine one one. Yeah. If someone's calling nine one one and you'd be like, Hey, make sure you tell them I'm a good guy with a gun. This is what I'm wearing. <laughs> you know, don't shoot that guy. Right. So, um, but when those cops got there, even though Tommy had said, Hey, I'm an Aurora police officer. This is my badge number. I did this, this, and this, they still arrived on scene, proned him out, took every weapon and everything that he had and handcuffed him until they got everything sorted out. Now, yep. It was his opinion that that was overkill, but this is still something that could happen to you. So don't don't be yep. surprised if that's something that the cops wind up doing. That'll be normal. Yep. You never know what those cops that are responding have already dealt with that day and the frame of mind that they're in. They may have already dealt with something really bad earlier that day, and that may be why they you know overreact. You know, and, and I'm just I'm not saying that's what happened in that case. I'm just saying you don't know. lots of different. That's reasons. also why you don't know like. You may do everything right, and you just don't know what the the current frame of mind is of the officers responding because they may have just come from something else that sort of already uh, uh, prepared their mind for uh, maybe not necessarily always in a good way because they've already seen something kind of bad. I'm glad you hit on the on the communication aspect not not, not just communication on the scene, but the, you know talking to dispatch for instance, um, if possible. The best possible thing. And I would say if possible and appropriate to do so, meaning it doesn't put you in greater harm or risk of doing so. Um, if possible and appropriate to do so, you need to be making the phone call as soon as possible. Even if it's already been called in, probably a good idea to still call if you can do it safely. Okay. Why? Because now you're firsthand talking to dispatch. You want to be careful, of course, with language that's used. Um, from a, you know, not wanting to self-incriminate aspect, but you want to be able to talk to them firsthand and say, Hey, I'm on scene wearing a gray blue shirt, uh, with white print on it, uh, green pants and a hat, black and green hat, you know, whatever it is that you got to say. Uh, and I'm a fairly large dude, six foot three, 240 pounds. Like look for a big dude with hat and blue gray shirt with green pants. I'm your good guy. And I do have, you know, and I've got a gun, like whatever, you know, say all the things, uh, that's, that's good. And if you can't say it yourself, then like you said, make sure someone who is talking to dispatch or is making the call that, you know, and hopefully they understand the situation that's taking place too, so mm -hmm. that they actually believe you. But yeah, you want to try to communicate that information, very relevant information. Good stuff. Final thing, um, is, oh, a uh, different presentation. So this is another challenge or problem with the surreptitious draw is that by surreptitiously drawing the gun, uh, if we periodically, particularly kind of keep it in a different, you know, like say down by my leg, you know, or behind, even almost behind my back, uh, that is going to present very differently than maybe how I normally draw. 
And so, and I'm an advocate for this anyway. It's good to practice presenting to the target from different positions. So starting from say a compressed, you know, position, uh, compressed ready, low ready, uh, high ready, if you want to do that, uh, you know, down by your leg, if you, you know, if you're thinking more of a surreptitious draw, maybe even if you, if you do sometimes even carry a gun from a pocket or in a pocket, and you got a pocket revolver or something, practice that because that presentation is going to be a little bit different than maybe what you normally do with your normal uh, EDC. So that's, uh, that's another kind of challenge, I guess I would say. And that's actually the piece I alluded to earlier that I think where we kind of cross back into um, uh, where, where surreptitious draw seems to be more of a tactical uh, concept, but the, the one of the technical things that needs to be practiced would be presenting from a different position than what you're normally mm-hmm. used to. Yeah, that would make sense. Getting up on target when you've got that gun from behind your back is going to mess up your reaction time a little bit and that kind of thing. Yeah, and it just may mess up uh, things like, you know, I'm very used to as soon as I clear holster, the support hand gets indexed right on right on the front of, you know, right up against the trigger guard and my other hand immediately. Well, if I'm coming from back here, that's going to be a little bit different. I think we missed one key body position which is the John McClane Beretta duct tape to the middle of the back. I mean, that seemed to work pretty good. Yeah. Uh, that's awesome. That's a, definitely a consideration. Mm-hmm, definitely a consideration. Mm-hmm. And you get cool points for pulling that Absolutely off. Absolutely get cool points. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm sure there's probably some other nuance and things we could uh, – dive into but i think that's all the time we have for today i hope that we, we've at least done some justice to the uh topic i of think so the of timing your counter ambush the uh surreptitious draw there we go <laughs> if you have any questions about it again feel free to let us know hit us up email us podcast at concealed or hit us up on our socials too you can find concealed carry uh social media pages on facebook instagram twitter um, I think on Instagram, we're like concealed, concealed carry Inc. Twitter, we're a little bit different. USA firearm, I think is the handle on Twitter, uh, or just search concealed carry on uh, Facebook. You should be able to find us message, message us. If you have to, through socials, ask any questions you have. Um, but the best way is it's going to come to our email inbox when you email podcast at concealed uh, Again, today's episode sponsors were HK or Heckler and Coke. Okay. Uh, HK dash USA.com is their website. Uh, for the, for you know, HK USA, which is where, you know, if you buy guns here in the U S it's, it's coming in and imported technically by, by the HK USA division. So check them out. HK-USA.com. We'll be seeing them at shot show here. in by the time this is published uh, in less than a week afterwards. So look forward to that. And maybe, maybe we'll see some of you at shot show. If so, hope, hope to, to cross paths and say hello and yeah. shake hands gotta come say hi at shot show absolutely we'll have a 10 by 20 foot booth uh on the first floor number 41010 so 41010 41010 come see us we'd love to, to to say hello and shake hands and and rub shoulders for a little bit and for guardian nation members we have a special meetup on tuesday night of shot show week uh, for Guardian Nation members only. If you happen to be a Guardian Nation member, uh, look for, if it's not already been announced, uh, it, it 
should be uh, announced in the Facebook group here very shortly. And if you're not in that group, you should probably be in that group. So come join us for some food. Uh, we'll get together on Tuesday evening during SHOT Show Week with uh, a number of you Guardian Nation members and some other special friends of ours and uh, spend some some good quality time together. Mm-hmm. So looking forward to SHOT Show. should be a great time. And uh, Brian, I know you'll be in the booth uh, demonstrating, talking about mountain and medical stuff. All and, things medical. Yeah. Uh, Guardian Conference, our other sponsor of today's episode, guardianconference.com. Please get signed up soon before price, the price increases. So with that, I think that's all I got. Three-day weekend uh, for some folks if they uh, – yeah, Monday's a – Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Yeah. So for some of you may not have work or school on that day. Uh, we actually take every federal holiday off. Oh, so um, we're off too, huh? Yeah. Hey, he's just finding out. He, he just found out he's got a three-day weekend. Uh, I, don't, I don't pay attention. I just work every day. <laughs> I pretty much do as well. So anyway, folks, ha- hope you have a great weekend and be safe out there. So that leaves us at a conclusion of this episode with a reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. A reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. Concealed Carry, Inc., its brands and properties, and the Concealed Carry podcast is not a legal service, nor are we attorneys at law. We make our best faith effort to share Concealed Carry-related insights and information about firearm-related incidents and the laws pertaining based on our own understanding and experience. But things can be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast. Please exercise care with all things pertaining to firearm use, concealed carry, and always practice following basic firearm safety rules. More information about safety can be found at concealedcarry.com forward slash safety.